You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Janet Stilson on the show with me today. She has an amazing new book. It's called The Juice, and uh, what a fun romp uh, of a book this is, uh, full of action, full of excitement, uh, and a great story to boot. Uh, This is a must-have for your uh, to-be-read pile, for sure. Uh, Welcome to the show, Janet. Well, hello, and that was a wonderful introduction. I'm (laughs) glad you feel that way. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Janet, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? You know, I I knew you were going to ask this question, and so I've been thinking about it, and I've got kind of a two-part answer for you, because I knew from a very, very early age that I loved telling stories, because every Saturday morning, my mother and my sister and I would climb back into bed after breakfast, and my mother would open storybooks, and we would she would, you know, tell us stories. But then after a while, she'd put the books down and she'd start a story. And then my sister Marion would pick it up and tell a little more. And then, excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. And then I would pick it up and tell a little more. And I really fell in love with the whole process of creating stories through my mom. But I don't think I really thought of myself completely dedicated to Uh, you know, being a professional writer until I was in college. And I was, um, I was taking journalism courses. I, you know, I knew that um, maybe there was a career out there for me. I didn't really have terribly high goals. But then I, when I was a sophomore, I was going to school at Emerson College in Boston. And I was taking a fourth level um, writing course with a professor named Larry Manis. And um, it was both learning how to write feature articles, but at the same time, he also allowed us to um, sort of express ourselves through creative writing, through fiction, um, as a way of kind of loosening us up and, and thinking about how you can tell stories of any kind. And it was the sort of situation where as the days went by, the class grew smaller and smaller and smaller because it was clear that Larry had very high expectations. And one day I met him in the hall and he, I can't remember his exact words, but basically what he said was, you might want to reconsider taking this course. I'm not sure this is for you. Mm. And there's something about somebody basically saying no that made me want it all the more. And I suddenly realized that I had this passion deep inside me that had I had to go forward and I had to, to prove to Larry Manis and to a heck of a lot of other people that I, was, I could be a really good storyteller. 
I just felt that I had it in it in myself. And uh, Larry Manis is one of my good friends today. We still keep in touch years and years and years after both of us have left Emerson. Wow. The, you know, we talk a lot on this show about um, early encouragement and how a parent or a teacher uh, a lot of times will will just uh, give a, um, a a thought of encouragement to a kid or to a young person uh, that that you tend to hold on to for a long time because there are there are dark days as a writer where you're sitting alone with just your computer or notebook or whatever and invariably your mind will go back to those those early points of encouragement and that that can get you through um you know some dark days but there's something also to be said for um that uh, those moments of pushback where you're forced to to kind of fight your way to your to your dream to that you know you're going to do it despite um what anyone else thinks um it, it, have you thought about that throughout the years yeah, I really have. I think <clears throat> I can remember also when I was in high school, I grew up in this really tiny town in upstate New York, which is also extremely beautiful. It's called Franklin. And um, I loved doing theater. And we had a, um, a, um, a teacher who essentially directed all the school plays. And um, he was very, he, you know, he knew how to say no. He knew how to, um, you know, really make people sit up straighter and really think about what they were doing. And while he was extremely encouraging to me, um, I remember, you know, the pushback as much as I remember the encouragement and, and how that really helped me in the end. So, Janet, what uh, what initially drew you to journalism? Uh, was there uh, any particular person or maybe an event uh, that made you think of the, the role of journalist in a new light? I think it had to do with, um, I, you know, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a storyteller, um, but my family was very pragmatic and um, my parents you know, if I had said I want to be a novelist, they would have, you know, kind of suggested I go in another direction because that's not a great way to make a lot of money unless you get very, you know, very lucky. And um, so journalism seemed like a real good way to um, make a living as a storyteller. And I kind of fell into writing about. Uh, showbiz and um, the media industry. I and I and I help. I just you know even though I had gone into journalism at, for very practical reasons, I really fell in love with chronicling the adventures of these big media companies and sort of seeing what executives were doing behind the scenes in terms of new shows that they were producing or new technology that they were playing with or how powerful politicians were using the media to their own advantage and um, to the disadvantage of their, you know, competitors. So it was, um, it became a passion just as much as creative writing was very much a passion. 
when uh, so was the the idea of the corporate world and this uh, you know kind of seemingly other society that uh, that that tends to to take shape and um, uh, were those things fascinated to you that that there really were kind of two types of society? Yeah, I mean, I I guess the way I think of it is. Certainly, the media industry is a you know a, a world within a world, but I suppose that there's all kinds of other um, corporate cosmos um, that exist out there. But it was a particular world that I enjoyed navigating. Yeah, um, the your book, The Juice, uh, plays off of uh, some of these. Uh, experiences that you had as uh, as a journalist. Do, do you remember the first inspiration for this book? Um, <clears throat> that's a that's a hard question for me to ask. I think I think it sort of came up on me little by little. I don't think. I mean, there have been stories that I've written where it suddenly hits me, and uh, I'm crossing a street and I nearly get hit by a car. This was not one of those stories. This was something that um, I, you know, I watched the old TV or the old movie um, um, network. And then I started watching, you know, other productions on television that were within the world of television or media more broadly. Um, and, And it suddenly occurred to me. Wouldn't it be interesting to imagine what it would be like to work within a giant media company a few decades into the future? And because so many of the chats that I'd had with executives in the business over the years had to do with talking about the future, about what they were going to be doing next, it was sort of my whole mind was always sort of focused on the future for my journalism. And I just sort of took that and turned it into a sci-fi world um, that in- included, you know, a lot of it is my own imaginings, just trying to play out how certain trends within the business today might eventually, you know, evolve. Uh, and then to add some fantasy to it as well. Some things, God, I hope it doesn't happen, but you never know. <laughs> but it's it's fun to think about the what ifs and and playing out scenarios that you see and and kind of playing with where they might lead i think that's a uh that that's an important role for the science fiction writer absolutely you sort of have to do that right um you you spent a, a good bit of time working at uh at variety uh what were some of the things that you learned working within the industry but uh you know kind of as an outside observer while being in the industry what what were some of the things about the entertainment industry that that surprised you? Well, you know, the the environment of variety at the time I was there was in and of itself like being inside a Dickens novel because I was we we were in an office on the second floor of an old building um, with Formica topped desks on either sides of a very narrow room and. There were men of every size and shape and age you can imagine. And then there was me. And there was 
a lady's room and there was a men's room. And because I was the only lady, it was just used interchangeably. And so it was it was fun just being in that environment in and of itself. And then I was in when I was at Variety, I was um, uh, very young. I was an assistant to the television editor. And so a lot of what I was doing was editing what other people wrote from Rome, from London, from Madrid, from Australia, these stories would come in about how the television business was changing. And so every story that I copy edited, I was learning the whole sort of what was going on in the world of television at that time. And then you you factored into that, that there were other people in that newsroom that were covering the theater or radio or you name it, any any form of entertainment was in that magazine. And then I started doing some um, initial reporting myself and realized how how important uh, the government is in terms of how it keeps some players out of doing what they want to do because of their regulations. And it allows others to really, um, really spread their wings, so to speak. So all of that sort of push and pull was fascinating to me. Dream Author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14-month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though, is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit dreamauthorcoaching.com to get started today. Authors. I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer um, or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books. 
at a blog um, and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social writer, media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free really trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, writing. which includes and hosting, so and we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for pub-site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. And that's pretty much what I do today. Um, and I, I enjoy, you know, both worlds. You've been published in uh, Asimov's uh, with a short story, uh, I know. Um, how, do you, how do you see the difference in short story writing and writing um, a novel like The Juice? Um, yeah, do you approach those two forms differently? Um, do, is there a... A, a different purpose for a short story as opposed to a novel? Um, well, you know, it's, it's interesting because when I was, when I was writing the juice and I'd never written a novel before, it was a brand new format for me, although I'd read novels, you know, since I was very young, the only way I could sort of wrap my mind around it, was to think of each, each chapter as a short story. And I sort of, you know, I, I sort of mentally sort of was able to figure out how to do it by saying, okay, don't worry about chapter 22 right now. Just, you know, the structure, you know, you have your outline, just treat each one as like a little gem and go from one stepping stone to the next, to the next. But I have to tell you that writing short stories is a very special and at times almost an intricate matter because you want to tell the story with a strong beginning, middle, and end in not a lot of words. I just finished a short story that's 10 and a half pages, and it took me a long time to figure out how to do it because what I've come to realize is that. the story becomes much stronger if you streamline the number of subplots and the number of characters and just make it a very strong, shorter piece. And so I guess it's it's not as hard as writing a novel in the sense that it took me years to write The Juice, but it's a very delicate dance that I'm still learning to, to, to move to. When you think of novel writing and and break it down in, like you said that that each chapter is sort of like a a a short story, and that uh, are are there certain uh, things that each chapter needs to accomplish? Uh, like when you start to write a chapter and and you're you're viewing it kind of as a short story, um, what are you hoping to to do with each chapter? Are you hoping to to move the the story forward in a particular way? Are there certain things that you need to reveal to the reader? Like what, uh, what should a chapter, what, what should, what job should it do in the grand scheme of things? Well, it definitely needs to move the action forward. Um, that's a primary thing. The way I structured the juice, as you know, is that I have um, three protagonists and the story is told is narrated by each of them in separate chapters. So there's a um, 
there's sort of a tech head rebel named Jared, and he opens the the novel with um, a certain puzzle that he needs to solve that involves a friend of his who's on the verge of dying. And then we move to another chapter, which is told from the perspective of a teenaged girl in a small upstate New York town who's dirt poor and has very little in life. Um, but she eventually is sort of transformed in kind of a Cinderella-like fashion by this substance that makes her extraordinarily charismatic. And the third character is named Petra, and Petra is a very powerful executive in a big media company. And they basically, in the first half of the book, their stories are very separate, but they're slowly but surely moving toward each other because of the the problems that they are that they encounter and the challenges and the way their their actions move them. And in the second half, we see them at first um, not as friends when they first encounter each other separately. Um, they're very they don't have much trust for each other. They're very wary, but slowly but surely. They come together um, and form a rather form a rather unconventional team to get something done. Um, Janet, as I've uh, read over the juice, um, some interesting things started uh, revealing themselves to me. Uh, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but 2020 was was kind of a crazy year for lots of different reasons, um, <laughs> but. You know, there are some certain uh, subplots and, and, and ideas in this book that seem uh, extra poignant uh, with the the time that we've just come out of. And and, you know, with with the advent of 2020 and and who knows what it holds. Um, you know, this is this is kind of one of those those things about science fiction is uh, it, it can become uh more than real in a lot of cases. And maybe, you know, we're projecting our personal experiences onto the story. Uh, you know, maybe that was never the intention of the story, but it, it does seem to resonate. Uh, and, you know, and, and that's the, the hallmark of great science fiction is that you can see yourself in it, even if, uh, you know, the, uh, the setting is, uh, you know, pushed forward and, and things are imagined. Um, how do you feel about uh, you know, seeing current events in your work and and maybe the the idea that your work takes on a new light. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me that I, I there's two different things that I think are going on um, that sort of speaks to the storylines that, that run through the Jews. Um, one is, um, and this is something that I developed as part of the story years ago. But um, I have just in my regular life, I have to really manage back pain. It's just one of things that I have to deal with. And so I've been to a lot of massage therapists over the years, and I came to really appreciate how touch is so important in our lives. And so I imagined a world in which if you were part of the upper crust or even someone who's part of the, you know, middle rank of society that you didn't touch other people unless you were part of their family or if they were your lover 
But just as a general rule, you didn't touch people, which of course now has come true. You know, <laughs> if we if we touch someone, we don't know what the consequences might be. But at the time that I developed that, it wasn't it didn't come out of that in any way. Um, and then the second thing is the control of uh, media by certain politicians in the world that I've created, the the are what we think of today as PBS has uh, become an arm of the government and is also a commercial venture. And the vice president of the United States is the chairman of this big media company. And it's used as a platform for him to set his agenda. Um, and, you know, this is something that comes out of my um, observations over the years about um, how television in particular, but then by extension, the Internet has has changed and and become a mouthpiece in a much more pronounced ways for certain viewpoints, if not very particular um, politicians. And that's not something that's limited to the United States. I've seen it in pockets all over the world. The, in in the description of the book, um, it it says in in, uh, in in a certain place when charisma is a superpower, it's a mind bending force. Um, how how did you come up with the idea to to use charisma as a superpower, and what uh, what avenues did that open when you started thinking of the implications of this? Well, you know, I've 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 done some reading about. How the, the the you know how people seduce other people, and the the ways that they that they charm people with very natural means, and um, also I've been fascinated with subliminal messaging and how that's been possible for decades, and there are certain curbs on what advertisers can do. Um, when they try to influence people to buy certain products. So all of that sort of um, came together in the idea that there might at one point in time, and this is me fantasizing, be a, a chemical substance that turns mildly charming people into incredibly charismatic um, creatures who can get anybody to do almost anything. And and when you think about it, uh, you know, when you ask people, um, you know, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And, you know, some people would say, well, I, I would be invisible or or maybe I would fly. Um, but charisma, uh, it may be more useful than all of that. And in, in, uh, in, I, I can only uh, imagine that when you started thinking through this and, and looking at the implications and possibilities, um, that, that this was probably an, an exciting uh, revelation to you that, that how this could be used. Oh yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun to play out and, and to see it from different angles because in the story um, there are two what what I call charismites and what the maker of this chemical substance called charismites these these people with these superhuman abilities to charm people. And um, but other other characters in the story have no idea that these people are so 
well endowed, as it were, with these chemical substances. So the story is told from the standpoint of people who are incredibly attracted to this man and this woman, and yet they have no inkling that it is induced by a chemical that they, they're taking. They just think they're just naturally attracted to these people. And, the, and then I sort of played it out in the sense that um, if these charismites uh, appear in television commercials or if they appear as talk show hosts on television, that their charm isn't just generated with the people that they're seeing, you know, in person, but it's, it can be communicated to the masses. Right. Um, when you first started thinking of this novel, um, what came to you first? Was it, was it the idea of, of, of playing with this uh, manipulated superpower? Was it a, a, a character that came to you or kind of what was the genesis for the story and how it, 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 it grew out of that? Um, you know, I think of it as not just one, um, one inspiration, but several, um, several things that I didn't realize were part of the same story until that all sort of came together in my mind. But I'll, I'll tell you one example of how I was inspired. Um, I went to a cocktail party years ago that was held by Discovery, the big on, you know, documentary network. And it was held at the Museum of Natural History in New York and in the Rose Center, which is where they um, explore the universe. And there's models of the various planets in our solar system that are through this big hall. And it's quite, you sort of feel like you're kind of floating in among them. And they had shown a a documentary in one of the screening rooms and we were all out um, having a cocktail afterwards and the room was crowded and it was a very, you know, polished television kind of crowd. And in amongst them, there was this guy who was kind of more scraggly than the other people there. He was in a, you know, he was in a a tweed jacket, um, but his, his hair was longer and he was wearing a, he was carrying a very elegant cane. And the sense that I got from him was that he was from very good money, had been well educated, and he didn't give a flying fig about that or society. He was by very much his own design, an outsider in the world that he had been born into. And um, I didn't talk with him. But I observed him and he gave me this sort of, he made me sort of think about a character that might be like that and how much fun it would be to explore the world from that person's point of view. And so he became my character, Jarrett, who is one of the three main protagonists in the story. When you have a book like this, um, like The Juice, um, come out and you've spent um, so much time working on it and you've built this incredible world um, how do you follow that up um, I, I, now that this book is out into the world um, what, what are you turning your attention to um, right now I um, I'm working on a project that 
um, is taking the form at this point in time as a TV series. Because I write, I've written film scripts. I've never written a TV series, but I feel like this is a TV series. And it also could be turned into a novel as well. Um, but that's how, what I'm playing out. And um, I haven't, I have sort of taken notes on a sequel novel to The Juice. But I haven't been, I, I'm sort of curious to see how the first book does and what kind of a response it gets. And then to sort of take it from there. Well, The Juice is out everywhere now, wherever you uh, buy books, you can grab a copy. Um, and we're going to put links to it in the show notes of this episode to make it easy for folks to find. Uh, Janet, if people are uh, fascinated by your story and, and love The Juice, um, where can they find you online to connect with you? JanetStilson.com. Excellent. We'll put a link uh, there as well. Uh, Janet, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of The Juice. And uh, thanks for your time. Oh, hey, thank you. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.